Happy Easter, everybody. It's Liz, and here's the podcast lineup for Popping Callers in April 2021. We're opening our hearts and our minds to pop culture that we might have initially rejected on Popping Callers. Find out what shows or movies we're giving a second chance. Speaking of comebacks, Greg has a special interview with the creators of a documentary called Bobby Joe Under the Influence. Hear how they discovered this uplifting story and were able to bring it to the big screen on our latest Pop Life Profile. Our resurrection theme continues on this month's Going on 30, where we explore life, death, and what lies beyond with the movie Ghost. Don't miss part two of our April Fool's shenanigans. Finally, we wrap up the month with The Sacred Six, featuring Eric Matoye. We look back at the classic chapter of The Wire, Middle Ground. It's arguably the best episode ever of the best television show ever. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped! What is up, everybody? It's your old pal Greg here, and that's right. We've got yet another new offering from the Popping Collars universe. Uh, So here's the deal with this one. We talk about a lot of big-ticket items on our various shows. Blockbuster movies, best-selling books, chart-topping music... Occasionally highlighting the works of those young up-and-comers, Charlie Dickens and Billy Shakespeare. Let's face it, while these pop culture items and creators are great to discuss, there is a whole world of content creators out there who aren't constantly trending on Twitter. And we wanted to put the muscle of the top-rated Christmas podcast on Pandora in December 2020... Longest-running Episcopal podcast in the history of the universe behind some smaller projects that may fly under the usual radar. This month, I got the chance to talk to Brent and Donna Jones, the director and producer, respectively, of a documentary called Bobby Joe Under the Influence. Letterbox.com says this film is an honest testimony of addiction and one woman's discovery that the only way to save herself is to save others. I'll tell you that the word honest may be underselling the flood of truth that comes out of the screen. Bobby Joe Reed, the founder of Healing House in Kansas City, Missouri, doesn't have time to beat around the bush with her life story and how to help others. She gets right to the heart of the matter using her personal story to connect with people while working to give women and men in bad situations an opportunity to get clean and find their purpose. So how did Brent and Donna find their way to Bobby Joe's story? Find out in my conversation with them coming up. But first, here's the trailer. There's a lot of hurting people out here. Social workers feel helpless. Case managers are overwhelmed with cases. And then you got the police and you're dealing with a thousand people out here on the streets. There's nobody to help them. But now they see this person, right? Who cared enough and was willing to do something. 
Helping these people is everything to me. She is directly responsible for me being alive. I live and breathe to serve you. Some people think I'm just this rich lady that decided to start helping people. It was nothing like that at all. I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. Been on the street and left for trash. I lived under the boxcar. I just um, lost hope, you know? See, when you're out there in the streets, it's a whole different world. It's a miracle that she even made it out of that alive. I became a different person. When her mama passed, her mama gave her a house. And then God said, great job. Now sell it and move to the hood. She said, I bought a house. You got to come see it. I was going to help about 10 women stay sober every year. God had much bigger plans. She's steady buying houses. Steady buying houses. The growth is overwhelming. It's about creating a home-like atmosphere and love and compassion. That's what it's about. When she told me, welcome home, I just knew that it was all going to be OK. Whatever you have a compassion for, that's not a job. That's a call. Did this all happen? Just get into the conversation. But um, by way of introduction, I can introduce you, but you know your story a little bit better than I do. So if you could, maybe we could start by just telling me like who you are uh, and sort of where you're, where you're from, what your journey is to, to get here to Popping Collars. Well, my name is Brent Jones. My wife is Donna Jones. <laughs> we, uh, we met in California. We both moved. I moved from Kansas City. She moved from Canada. We went out there. Uh, I went out there to get into making films and, and get in the, in the film business. I grew up and, and I was doing, uh, my dad made television commercials in Kansas City. I immediately after school, I went to work for the Kansas City Chiefs shooting their, their practices and their games. And then it was like, I got on a, I got out on a TV movie of the week and met some people. And they were, a couple of them were moving to California. And so at 19 years old, I was like, you know what, I, I, mom, dad, I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm going to go <laughs> give it a go and, and make it in film, you know? So I did, you know, I moved out there. We had nothing. We, we moved into this little apartment and, and uh, it wasn't the best neighborhood in the world by any stretch. Right. And, and I just started knocking on doors. I mean, I went to. He uh, says knocking on doors. He meant um, sneaking onto the. Um, he he snuck onto the back lots and started <laughs> handing out his pager number. That was that was back in the pager. Yeah, oh, wow. you just, I just you had to sneak onto the lot, and I go to the electrical department, the grip department, the camera department, and try to get work. And you know, I eventually got some production assistant work in Los Angeles, and uh, got into doing commercials, making commercials. Then, and I got into with some really good crews, and we started making uh, you know low budget films, and that led to. Uh, working on some really big films. Uh, you know, one of my buddies got in with, with Janusz Kaminski who shot Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he came back after doing Schindler's List. He had to put a crew together and I was like, I want on that crew. And um, so we did, we did some movies with Steven Spielberg. And, and so I was in with, I got it. That took a long time. I mean, I'm, I'm speeding things along yeah, yeah. from production assistant to working on low budget movies and commercials, music videos, and then getting into doing big movies. And I was in, I was working with a, just incredibly talented people, you know, making big films. And um, all the while, you know, I, what I started to do is I wanted to be a director. So I was like, listen, let's put together some commercials on the side. I want to do, I want to put together a commercial reel. I figured that was the road in. And it was, you know, we put together, I did, uh, you know, commercials for FedEx and AT&T and Monster. 
and they were, you know, they were spec commercials, but they looked, they looked like professional commercials and eventually got me signed at a production company. I put together a directing career. Donna helped me do all of that. I mean, that's about this, about where I met Brent right? um, is at that point in his life where he really wanted to, to really put together a solid reel with a multitude of spec commercials. And so I was working, I had moved down to Los Angeles and met Brent and, and I was working um, in the sort of in the construction and development business of building restaurants, retail um, stores and things like that. And so I kind of understood, you know, budgeting, scheduling, timelines, and I just kind of, you know, drifted right into production. And uh, it just sort of made sense to organize all of that. And we, you know, were able to build a really strong reel and uh, director's reel for him. And he got signed. We took all of our, we took, we got a bunch of credit cards and we charged it up. I mean, we went, we went deep on some credit cards. That's the old 90s filmmaking journey yeah. right you yeah, max that is it. Cards. it was just all we would just put it like going to vegas and putting it all on red right. you know we had a little nest egg and we were going to buy a property in culver city and instead we built a reel and yeah. uh you know i was having our we have two daughters and we were i was pregnant with one and i had a toddler and we were literally producing in our living room making it happen, living the dream, I guess is what it, it was, is. Right? You know, uh, you, it was fun then. And it, looking back on it, it's fun now. I mean, we were, we were, you know, we took all of our savings and we went into credit cards about $80,000 to get going. And that, I mean, and so we were, we couldn't catch up. Right. We, we were putting money from one credit card. Well, just switch them <laughs> over to this one, switch it back to this one, switch it back to this one. And, and like, if anybody's listening to this and they plan on doing that, you, you got to be careful. Yeah, think about it. <laughs> you got to be Well, you better be talented too because, you know, you've got to, I mean, the commercial directing uh, business is, it's as challenging as film business, you know, TV business, anything. It's competitive. Mm-hmm. It's challenging. Uh, we were very fortunate. It, it took a long, I mean, we, the career, my directing career, I got signed at a, at a place and started making a little bit of money, but we were still extremely in debt. So I was directing, and and then the next week I'd be out with the crew guys loading the trucks, you know, and making mm-hmm. trying to make more money, trying to get out of this debt. And then because it takes a long time, you know, you you work really hard, and then you only go shoot one day, you get paid for that one day directing. Right. And and so anyway, it took a while for all that to happen, and and it started to happen. And then 2008, the market just went. You know, just went to Boston. We were like, oh, no. So I was right back in. The directing career took off for a little bit, and then it backed off, and I was back in the in the, in the working on, on films and lighting and doing trucks. Luckily, I have a, I had that a good, solid family uh, on the crew it, side. The crew side. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's guys that I came up with looked after me. I needed oh. a job. They would bring me in in a heartbeat, you know? And uh, anyway, the we got the directing career going after, you know, 2009, we got back in and things started working out really, really well. Did, did good for a long time. And then, and then we're in LA, we're sitting there going, well, our, our, our girls are approaching in their teenage years. We want to live in LA. Uh, we needed to be around family. You know, we, we right. thought about, let's get back to get these kids into some, um, getting them into some good schools and get back to family. And we needed to get kind of get back here to take care of family as well. So we came back to Kansas City and we're like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, I was still going back and forth to Los Angeles uh, doing commercials. 
Um, and I didn't really like being away so much. So I was like, we got to find a story here in, in Kansas City. So yeah. I, I, that's when we found, we found Bobby Joe. Uh, we can get into that a little bit, but tell me a little bit about Kansas City. As a, like, what's it like as a city? I don't know that, you know, I don't know that it has that kind of identity that people are like, oh man, Kansas City, that's, you know, I mean, barbecue, stuff like that, right? But like, tell me, tell me about the city because I think it plays a large part in the dock, right? The way that Bobby Joe makes shorthand of like these numbered streets and stuff like that. Well, Kansas City is very, very cool. I mean, if you, you know, that I know that, that, that it's barbecue, Wizard of Oz and the Chiefs, you know, it's kind of where people market it but i mean it's a it's a really uh good city it's not too big and it's in the downtown areas has has thrived over the last 20 years i mean we've got uh you know a lot of restaurants a lot of hotels a lot of development and it's just a you know a lot of arts uh people a lot of music i mean you you go around and see music all over the place we got you know the green lady lounge and the ship and the knuckleheads we got some cool We've got some uh, really cool. It's like the music scene is 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 getting better and better and better here. You know, it really is. There's a lot going on, and it's not it's not blown up like Nashville. Uh, it's a media uh, mid sized city, so it's not too big and it's not too small. So you got a lot of culture, a lot of uh, uh, you know. There's it's it's becoming a melting pot downtown. You know, and it's a great place to to raise a family. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's different. If you want New York City life, it's not here. You want LA life, it's not here. You know, right. it's a little bit more spread out. You get a little bit more space. It's it's uh, the pace isn't is is as uh, rapid fire. Let's get into it. You know, you can relax a little bit. And I felt I felt that when I got here. I felt that wow, I'm not tense in traffic. I'm not trying to get somewhere and spending so much of my time just trying to battle to just get to work or to pick up my kids you know it's way more relaxed yeah and con- consequently i'm gonna live longer since i moved <laughs> I, I really i know that i was surprised uh when we got here at really how vast the film community is the arts mm-hmm. community and you know there's a just uh something to be said for the freedoms of being able to shoot and being able to you know, move around. We, we had always had that challenge in Los Angeles when you're out there shooting and trying to, trying to get something, especially when you're trying to build a career and you're trying to do it for nothing and there's no budget and all those things, you know, when you're in a big city like Los Angeles, you just feel stifled and you, you know, it's, it's a challenge. But I found that, um, here it was just, it just seemed to be, you know, kind of open doors and, uh, the film community, I mean, we we had to staff up quickly and, you know, we got in touch with the Kansas City Film Commission and it was just amazing. I mean, there's just a lot of talent here, a lot of talented filmmakers. And we were able to sort of, you know, kind of jump into that pool and we were welcomed. And that was amazing. You've got people have a lot more time for you here. Your neighbors. Right. <laughs> your, I mean, it's not like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Bye. You know? <laughs> It's it's more and and I had to get used to that. People want to go, hey, how are you doing? And and, and, and they want to know. They actually are interested. And and I mean, I we found our family in Los Angeles, so I don't want to bag on either place. Right. I love Los Angeles and I love Kansas City because I've you know Kansas City is my home. It's where my family is. I got a big family here. You know, it's, I've got you know nieces and nephews and you know you really miss that when you're in in a big city like los angeles and it's 
nice to be back around that family atmosphere. I, I what I think is great about mid-sized cities like this is there's a lot of there's there's a lot of culture developing in the in the in the smaller cities. It's not it doesn't all just exist on the coast or the big cities. I mean, of course they have more. They have more museums and 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 uh, more music and all those things. But the the mid-sized cities are 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 really nice to be in. They're they're big enough where you get all those things and all the you know, the music comes through and the, the music is being cultivated in the streets as well. You know, we've, it, it, there's a lot going on. So, yeah. And things can feel like a surprise. I mean, like you're not expecting stuff from a Midwestern town necessarily. Like, you know, it's a, like a uh, Super Bowl win that, you know, <laughs> what, what are you going to do with that? We went 50 <laughs> years. I'm sorry to go back on it. I got <laughs> No, I no, no! You got to celebrate, Pat Mahomes. We, 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 we got this. We got this cool quarterback, man. That's that's rocking the city, and I, I I'll tell you what, it's it's real nice when you that's when you right. are a that's fan right. for fifty so, years. <laughs> so, um, so now I'm really interested because what you're describing, Brent and and Don, like what you're describing is that you come from a world of like scripted storytelling, and here you are making a documentary. How'd you get to this story? Like, were you looking to make a documentary or like, did you just find Bobby Joe and you were like, dang, I got to tell a story. Like what? Pretty much. Pretty much. We, I mean, we were looking for other stories. Like, like there's uh, uh Pendergrass was a big, uh, 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 Tom Pendergrass was a big uh, figure here, mob guy who ran the city and we were looking at his story, you know, and there's, you know, um, Bonnie and Clyde are around here, you know, and Pretty Boy Floyd. I mean, there's there's stories that come in and around Kansas City, and and um, and we were looking for those stories. And then I saw Bobby Joe speak, uh, just right up the street from me. Actually, I went down to her place, Healing House, and cooked for like 200 people. A friend of mine was going down and he says, and you know, you want to help me? And I said, sure. So I went down there in this little bitty kitchen that they had, and then 200 people came in. And then uh Bobby Joe and Mama Judy walked in and they ran a meeting right in front of me. And I'm like, these two ladies are pretty cool. And then I found out she was speaking up the road. There's a church up the street and she was giving her testimony up there. I went and saw that. I was standing in the in the in the audience of about 80 people and I just dropped my jaw. We had been reading scripts and things and she started to tell her story and it just went deeper and deeper and deeper uh, into um, the darkness of, of her life and then came out and it, man, it was the most amazing testimony that I, I'd ever heard. I mean, then it was a quiet room and she, she goes around and tells her, shares her testimony with a lot of people and she has a book, but I just had never heard any, anything like it. And the, the turnaround, how she turned her life around and then went, she ended up in a really bad neighborhood. A lot of bad things happened to her. She got out of it and then she turns around and goes right back into that neighborhood to help as many people as possible. And I don't know a whole lot of people that actually do that. A lot of people mm -hmm. get out of that and they go, okay, I got out of that. I'm going to move on right. with my life. But no, she turned around and said, I'm going right back in there and I'm going to change things. And, and so when I heard that story, I was, came home to Donna. I said, I met the most incredible lady. Her name is Bobby Joe. And you're not going to believe this story. Here's a book. And we read her book and we decided, you know what? Let's try to make a film out of this. So we wanted to do a theatrical version of Bobby Joe's life. 
So we went down and did a test with her and she started talking about it. You know, it just became a documentary. Okay. We saw her on film. I, I, I took, we went down to healing house for three hours, spent that time with Bobby Joe and she just talked to us and recorded everything. She walked us through her first house, came back home, put it in the editing room. And it was just like, this is gold. This, this woman has such, she's such, she's, she's such so such dynamic, charisma. you know, so chariz, charismatic. I knew, you know, she, she just came off the screen like she did when you saw her speaking or when you meet her in person. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. Yeah. And it was happening and we were able to cut it together and said, let's, let's go shoot some more. So we just kept meeting people and it became a documentary. I said, let's go shoot a documentary. I'm having fun doing this. It's not 60, 70, 100 people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's me and four or five other people making a film. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you could see it as a biopic, right? But like the the sheer honesty and the way that she approaches her story, just like everything comes flooding, right? Like yes. like the honesty comes flooding at you. That's probably more compelling than anything that you could probably script as far as like telling her story in a different way. Yeah. Well, it's such a it it is such a dark story, and and it is. But to your point, I mean, she has such a gift with the way she tells her story. It's so direct. And it just, I mean, flooding out is the what you said. And I, you're absolutely right. It just, it just floods out at you. And, and as dark as it gets, it's still manageable. And I say that in that the, the, the fact that an audience can hear it and you're hearing these horrific things and you're, 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 you get the, the compassion, like you, you, you feel that for her, but you're able to accept it because it's not, I mean, we're not showing reenactments. We're not, you know, trying to get into this and, and like really kind of, kind of dig into the, the grit of it in a way. Mm -hmm. She's just going to tell you, she's just mm -hmm. going to tell you the way it is. And we were able to capture that on film and that honesty and that bravery of hers to be able to do that. You know, I mean, it's, and I think that it, it really worked well in as a documentary, you know, yeah. being able to for people to hear that in a way that you know they're not going to turn the channel and and turn it off because it's just too hard to hear. She's just gifted in 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 her ability to tell that story, and we wanted to capture that. Well, it's obvious she got out of it, right? She's right. standing there talking to us. <laughs> right. She's right. alive. She's alive. So you know that going in. You just want to see the facts unfold. And, mm -hmm. and I, you know, she told her testimony and that gives you a lot of the story, but we wanted we backed it up with a lot of other people that are in her life and they have similar lives, you mm -hmm. know? And, and so we got to start going into their stories a little bit and then coming back to Bobby Joe and then going into other people's stories and coming back. So, I mean, a lot of people, it, it, what's shocking is how many people live this way. Yes. There's, there's way too many people that are living in horrific, under horrific circumstances and sometimes being controlled and manipulated by people, pimps and drug dealers. And, and, you know, they don't have really have control. They don't have a, a grasp on their lives. Mm -hmm. Other people have a grasp on their lives or their addictions and their alcoholism has a hold of their lives and it's just dragging them down. Yeah. And the only way to, the only way to help them is really for someone who's been through that a similar situation to say, Hey, I understand. Yeah. I understand that uh, I've, been I've been there. I can help you. I can, 
I can show you the way out of this. Mm-hmm. And so we, we wanted to, we wanted to provide that to people that don't know that that exists, mm-hmm. you know, if for, for families that are struggling with, that have people that are, that are drowning in addiction and, and alcohol, you know, they're just, they don't know what to do. And uh, people that are caught up in their addictions don't know what to do. So the, pr- the purpose of the film is to throw a lifeline out and go, there are people that can help you, you know, and that's what really what Bobby Joe does. I mean, she's just throwing lifeline after lifeline out, out there and she's helping these folks. When it comes to a documentary, it feels like there's two paths that you can go down, right? So like you can, you can say like, oh, I see the whole vision for this. I see act one, act two, act three. Let me just tell that story. Or you can say, man, this is a compelling person. Let me get in there, shoot some footage and just kind of see what teases out and create the narrative around. So how did you approach this? Did you have it kind of all mapped out in your heads or did you say, well, let me get in there and see what this uh, place is all about and what influence Bobby Joe has over everything? I've never done a documentary, so I started. I started googling what kind of questions do you ask for a documentary. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I go to a source and I start digging and I start digging. I go, "What do you, you know?" And it's who, what, when, where, why. Right. You know, it just came. I mean, I I kind of knew that, but I was like, "That's I need more than that." Who, what, when, where, why? You know, let's find an arc. And you know, her arc is dark to light. That was very obvious. So basically we sat down, if you were to, if you were to simplify the structure, it was like, let's go from dark to light. Okay. And let's, let's just find a lot of evidence of that for that story. And her testimony is dark to light. Most everybody else's testimony that's come out of alcoholism and and addiction is a dark to light story. So where were you? What, What happened? How'd you get there? How'd you get out? What are the what are the steps you took? There's 12 steps involved in there too. So the 12 steps came into play, and you know they're they're woven through the film. And then, um, where are you now? What's going on now? So, right. what was it like? What happened? How did you change? And how did you get to where you are now? Those were the basic questions, and then I expanded upon those for everybody. And literally, I started. I, I wasn't a I wasn't a documentary filmmaker until now. And that's the structure I needed. Like, what, what structure are we going to have? And it, and those having that, that loose structure from dark to light and who, what, when, where, why from, from looking up, what questions do you ask for a documentary to, okay, what, what are we getting? And then right. once, what, here's how we did it. We, we would do like an hour to an hour and a half interview. And then we would do a, have transcripts made of those interviews. So you have your questions and you have a transcript and I would sit at home and go through the transcripts and find the most interesting things, the most powerful parts of the story through each transcript. We had like 30 of those you go through and you find the good stuff that fits into your structure. So you have that dark to light structure and, and you do that with each interview and you start putting layers together. You get a four hour movie to begin with and you go, huh, what do we have? And then it becomes very, very organic. It becomes very organic. It's like, Let's just start playing what works, move big chunks around. When you start, that's when the, when it gets really fun and it also gets hard. Yeah. Cause I imagine there's tough stuff to cut out, right? It's like, man, if I want to tell, because you, you follow the cops at one point. So it's like, if I want to tell the systemic 
story of how people get into situations of addiction and dependency and how, like, how do I do that and still fit it into this overall, the, like this individual story that I'm telling through this. Yeah, you could, in, in this in this subject matter, we could have ventured off into all kinds of directions. And we, I was doing that. I was going, okay, the pharmaceutical companies are evil and, <sighs> you know, this is all happening. And, and what are we doing? I mean, what's the best road to take, you know? And I didn't want to go into all of that because that's its own story. What I had to do was, say, everybody, let's stick to Bobby Joe's story. It's her story. It's about Bobby Joe. The title of the <laughs> documentary, it's Bobby Joe under the influence. What is her story? Let's not get lost. Yeah. So that's what kept us coming back. You know, that's, that's what led us. Yeah. Just, let's just stick to her story. And all those other things are in there. You just, I mean, we touch upon a lot of those things. We had, and we really wanted to focus on a story that was solution, like a solution-based documentary, as opposed to just highlighting the problem. And there's a lot of um, documentaries that are made that highlight issues. And this isn't really that. It's not issue-driven, other than the issues that Bobby Joe was facing. It's more of a solution to how it can be and, and what can happen and the good that can come out of these things, you know, and, and really kind of opening people's eyes to not just the issues and the problem, but the fact that there are little soldiers like Bobby Joe in, you know, small towns or in, or whatever that are, that are literally giving their lives to, to helping and that those people exist and that they need support and that there, you know, there are solutions out there. You know, I, I keep thinking to myself, like, you know, when you talk about AA, when you talk about NA, one of the key words in that is anonymous. Uh, did you have access issues sometimes? Were people skeptical of you? Were they suspicious of you when you were filming? Uh, at, we didn't, anybody who didn't want to be filmed, we didn't film them. And I was okay. like, I wasn't about to, I wasn't about to jeopardize anybody's um, uh, sobriety. sobriety or recovery. Mm -hmm. So we stayed away from people that, you know, that were new. I mean, we, you can go in and do something like intervention and get in people's faces and, or, and we didn't do that. We, we went in and we were just like, you know what, do you, you want to tell your story? And Bobby Joe uh, talked to the people beforehand and said, you know, would you want to do this and everything, everybody was vetted by her. And then we, um, and then a few, you know, there's a handful of people that I said, you know, can I interview these people? And, and uh, they were like, sure. So people's anonymity, that was up to them. They could, they could talk to us or not. And we didn't slide anybody in and, or we didn't pull any, we didn't play with that. My, my goal was to stay far, far away from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because that you bring that up because well, yeah. And Bobby Joe understands that this isn't, this isn't like a, she's not trying to get famous or trying to, you know, she literally speaks her truth, gives her testimony and will shout it from the rooftops. If she believes that it will help somebody who's mm -hmm. listening. I mean, and that's the truth of it. And this is just, you know, her goal, our goal it, with this film is just knowing that it will speak to somebody out there. It will, it will speak to their heart. And hopefully they will hear it and know that there's hope for them or hope for a family member. 
And this isn't about, you know, kind of, you know, highlighting or glorifying or anything like that to do with, um, you know, alcoholism, addiction issues. This is literally being put out there to the, for the goal of helping others and, mm-hmm. and speaking to their heart. And I think that that's, um, you know, we wanted to be truthful to that. And, and it is brave and courageous. And I, I, com- I applaud and commend and I sit in awe of Bobby Joe and the other people that we interviewed because they were so open and so brave and they just, it, it, it came right from the heart and they're and they're just willing to sit down and, and be, and also the fact that they, a lot of the people in the film, you know, they, they've come through Bobby Joe's program. So they've seen her do it. And so they know that they can do it too. And there's no shame in that. And there's power in it. The opposite of shame, you know, it's like there is strength in that and, and they know it and it comes across and it's so awesome to see. Yeah, when we were talking about honesty before, that's the thing that, I mean, I could see getting into this project and you just have an hour and a half of good stuff because, like, they're just being, you know, ridiculously honest with the, with everything that they're telling you. And so it's just like, man, there's nothing guarded here. There's nothing hidden. There's no masks being displayed at all. Right. So, I mean, all of this stuff is good to go. So how do I, how do I craft the story that we we want to tell right you know that's what that's what's appealing what's appealing is there's no masks it's all truth it's all honesty and it's and it blew my i was like wow these people are being so honest they're they're telling us everything and they want to tell us and they're not it's i mean and that's part of the a major part of the problem is that we all keep this stuff tucked inside and we don't want to reveal ourselves to anybody else so guess what we're going to do well I can't tell anybody this stuff. I'm going to drink. I'm going to take some pills so I can feel good. Mm-hmm. When what needs to happen is they need to let that stuff out, share with somebody what's going on inside of them. I mean, we live in a society where people are pointing the finger at each other all day long saying, you are, well, what about you? What right. about you, the person that's pointing the finger? Right. How, how can we all as individuals let go of and say, you know what? I'm feeling this way. I got stuff that I got to get out. All that anger and all that resentment comes from having something inside that you're, you're, you're hiding. You're, you're, you're not willing to share. I'm not going to share that I'm weak. Well, we all have weakness, you know, and if you can get it out of there, you can get it out. You can find some strength and the strength is in numbers. Mm-hmm. It's in it's in sharing that with people and going, "Hey, we're better together as one." I mean, I be- truly believe what's going on down there at the healing house is they're working like a community and a family or even a, it's it's it goes back to being tribal, you know, and like all taking care of each other and looking after each other, you know? Uh-huh. It's incredibly powerful. I I saw this community coming together and sharing their lives with each other and the strength that comes from that and from sharing their stories with each other. It's a lot different than being, being a, uh, in a community where nobody's sharing anything and everybody's showing up, uh, trying to one up each other. And well, everybody's coming across on Instagram. Like they just have the perfect life, right? Like they <laughs> right. just are showing, you know, they're just showing their best self. They're taking 18 selfies to find the one that works. And, you know, everybody is kind of, 
trying to present this front, right? This whole idea of, of perfection and the, these, this, uh, you know, image-based society. And I think, you know, our hope and, and, and my hope for the film is that it starts a dialogue. It's like, we need to talk to each other. We need to get mm -hmm. down to what's going on in order to understand each other and in order to get to a common place of understanding. And that means we need to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, we're, we need to get to a place where, you know, let's, let's show the bad selfie on, uh, <laughs> on Instagram and Facebook, right? Yeah, like, the kid having the meltdown. There you go. Um, you know, you're touching on something that I totally, I totally agree with. I think it's something that, um, I think it's something that your film touches on too, though. It's about control of the story. So there are these moments where Bobby Joe gets emotional and her testimony, I don't know how many times she's given this testimony, probably countless times uh, in her life. But she's, you know, you can see like she has such control over how she tells her story that even the tough part, she's able to get through it. She's able to she's able to control the narrative. Right. She's being completely honest, though, like in the way that she's controlling the narrative. And, and so it catches you off guard a little bit when she tears up, when she's like. You know, there's so many people, I think, that uh, just to speak to your idea, Don, that are are afraid of being vulnerable because they're afraid they're going to lose control of the story that they're telling. Um, they're afraid of being vulnerable on Instagram because they're afraid that they're going to lose the yeah. story of the perfect family that they've got that they're selling everybody on. And here she is. She's in control of her story, but she's giving you everything. She's not she's not doctoring it up to look like a specific thing that everybody's going to like her. I can see, um, I can see when you're making the film, how that's something that's in the back of your mind of like, okay, so how do we control this? Right. Because we can go, we can spend a lot of time in act one and her descent into the darkness, but when are we going to ease up off of that and get to where we're going? I, th I thought it was fascinating. I, I even made a mental note. I was like, Man, we got to we got to redemption quick, and I think that that was a good idea. That was that was from many you know screenings with with friends and and people. We could we could sort of gauge. You get to where you you know you can gauge what's going on and and how far do you want to take people. You know they start shifting in their seats. You can only take them so far. And there's I mean there's there's a reason why films are an hour and a half, two hours. You know. And there's a structure to them. And so we, you know, um, I know a little bit about film structure. So that played into, into the, how we set it up in the beginning as well, um, that we couldn't just stay there. Cause in the, our first cut that was four hours long, it went on and on and on. And there's a lot more to it. And you really had to, we, I mean, her story is darker even than what you saw. And there's things in there that we were just like, you know, we can't just keep beating you over the head with these things because yeah. we're just going to repel people. So we stayed true to it, but we actually, you know, had to allow the audience to breathe. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's a point I think that we found where we need to breathe right here. And it, and that sort of happened that's organic. That was sort of organic in the editing process. And it sort of speaks to, to Brent and his instincts as a filmmaker, you know, there's a lot of things that are just really subtle in there. Like sometimes you just got to get in the car with her and drive because the audience does need those moments to kind of take that breath in order to kind of handle more, you know, mm -hmm. because it does get to a point when you are watching things sort of rapid fire one after another people can kind of get numb to actually what they're hearing. 
And so that's kind of, you know, go, speaks to Brent's artistry and, and him sitting there in the edit room going, we, we, we need to take a breath here. And then you also, we, we use those, you know, those little chapter moments of, you know, fade to black and, and kind of give people a reset. They needed a little reset in order to kind of, you know, get on, move on to the next thing. And I think that that, um, those are all very careful things that, that, you know, as we were working it down from the very long, you know, piece, you know, we really had to trust in, in Brent and his instincts to do that, because I think that, and, and we would, we get audience feedback, we'd, we'd sort of find anybody we could to sit and watch the four hour version. And, 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 right. and we would kind of, you know, he'd be, we'd be watching, but we'd be watching them and seeing when they start shifting, when they start you know, people can get frustrated with things and it's very visible. You can see their physical reaction to it. Uh, I'll get you guys out of here on this. So we, uh, back in the day, we used to have a common feature on our show where uh, one of us would uh, be inspired by something that we had seen or read or listened to somewhere in the pop culture. And we would call it our staff picks. We would bring back the old blockbuster video, you know, the, the, uh, shelf with your name on it and you know what you would put up there so if you had a staff pick of something that came across your radar in popular culture like what would be your staff pick right now of something that you would recommend to people well we have been watching movies like crazy because um we're just very fortunate to you know have access to early screenings for in award season and so we have literally been watching so many films and there's just is such a, an amazing group of films out for 2020 that in, in 2021, um, there's a lot of female directors um, directing now. And uh, I'm telling you, we've seen some excellent films from a female point of view. And one of them is a film called I Am Your Woman. Uh, it just, it's, it's a, it, it's such a fascinating film because you really get into her point of view of what's going on in her life and how out of control it is. Um, and I highly recommend that film. That is that, that kind of sat with me, um, as well. We, uh, both enjoyed Nomadland. And then One Night in Miami. Oh my goodness. It's fantastic. It's really, really good. You know? The Queen's Gambit is like the best series ever. <laughs> I know it's about Jasmine. Oh, but also, <laughs> also you, you have to see The Father with Anthony Hopkins and um, Olivia Coleman. Is that her name? I'm probably going to get that wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That film. That's is so beautifully crafted. I mean, it it takes you on an, such an emotional journey as an audience member. I felt so many different emotions watching that film. I was frustrated. Right. Was a lot of people feel disoriented when it yes. introduces characters that are, you know, the same yes. character. And you're like, wait, did I make wait, it up? Are they like, moving like, the room? Are they literally moving art around right. in this room to confuse him? It was so disruptive as an audience member. And then it sits and hits you. And that's when you just takes you to a whole different level of compassion and just, 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 just painstaking. Yeah. Um, but what a beautifully crafted story. Well, it's, it's, it takes you to a place where you need to go. I mean, I, I love when it felt, I mean, you're, you're dealing with, um, with, uh, uh, Alzheimer's, right. He's dementia. dementia. Mm -hmm. And I felt, I felt dementia. 
Okay. Right. I was in his, I was seeing things through Anthony Hopkins world in that film. And when a, when a filmmaker is able to put me in that position where I'm experiencing something from a person's point of view that has dementia and I'm in it. Wow. You know, yeah. that's like, I was in that, I was locked into that seat and moving through his world. And I think, Absolutely. I think we all need to kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, the conceit of our podcast is that there's, there's so much popular culture out there right now and people are using it to make meaning and, and understand things that are happening in their lives. And so bringing in a faith conversation along with this meaning making conversation, I think it's helpful to folks, you know, to be able to, to combine those worldviews together. Yeah. So, yeah. You never know what somebody's going through. It's nice to kind of get a glimpse and go, Oh, okay. Maybe I can understand. Yeah. Understanding. Uh, Brent Jones, Donna Jones, thank you so much for coming on Popping Collars. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank um, you for having us. So before before I let you go, though, where can people catch Bobby Joe under the influence? How is it being distributed? Like, if if people are curious about this project, where can they find it? Well, the great thing is, is this film is now available on most streaming and on-demand platforms, which is just an absolute blessing. So you know, all of the regular places where you go to watch movies and to download rent and own movies we've got amazon prime video google play apple tv those are sort of the top three but it's available on like comcast and dish network and 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 itunes uh, itunes and verizon and so wherever you normally go to to uh rent and own movies we're going to be there you just got to search for us but remember that's bobby with an i that's probably the the most important thing um (laughs) we'll have it yeah we'll have it in the title to this episode make sure that it's spelled correctly so people can But yeah, it is a blessing and we're so thrilled that it is widely available and we just hope that people watch it. And when you watch it, please give us a rating on Rotten Tomatoes or Amazon.com <laughs> because that those little things help. I mean, we we are a low budget uh, film. We don't have a big Disney budget for advertising or promotion. So we need soldiers out there that are willing to write those reviews and help us out. Yeah. Thank you again so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. It was a pleasure to meet you. Enjoy yeah. that Florida weather. Hey, man, I will try my best. You know, it's, it's hard. 